Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ben Sternke. I'm here with my friends and co-hosts and all-around good people, Matt Tebby and Christy Penley. How are you guys doing today? Yeah. Hey, friends. Good. Yeah. I've been called an uneven good person before. Uneven? But never an all-around good person. All-around. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Look, un- uneven, all-around. No sharp edges. That's, That's not great. true of you. It's not true no. of any of us, but, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's good to uh, good to be with you guys today. Good you to uh, good good to be together. Um, <clears throat> this uh, podcast episode is dropping right after Labor Day, and I don't know what uh, everybody I don't know what all of our listeners got up to uh, over Labor Day. Um, we're recording it before Labor Day, um, but our plans, Matt and I, have plans over mm-hmm. Labor Day weekend. Oh, do tell. Uh, we're going to go camping just ourselves, <laughs> and no, I'm joking. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Um, we're doing a house blessing for a member of our church. Um, and so, uh, I'm really excited about it. Wait, tell us a little bit about that. Cause in my church, we do house blessings, but it's around Christmas time. Christmas so tell time? us, yeah. So tell us like, what do you, what did they just move into this house? They did. They fairly, they recently moved into the house, um, the last few months. And, uh, because of COVID and stuff, we've been trying to figure out. Apologize about my dog. She does not understand podcasts. <laughs> what is she doing? Well, who is she talking she, to? She's barking at she's somebody to driving audience. into the driveway. Oh, somebody. All right. Does she want to get on driveway Mike? for some reason? She wants to have closer. a house blessing. I think. Well, well I think my. Uh, she's she's going the other direction. 
Uh, anyway, yeah, we did. A, we're doing a house blessing for this person who uh, this family just moved into a house, and mm. uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Throw some That's holy awesome. water around. It is much holier than what I'm doing for Labor Day. Yeah, because <laughs> I, my husband, no joke. I was like, hey, we're gonna, we're we are going camping, but we're going camping like only Sunday night because Saturday is like the big kickoff for college football. Yes, and, it is. And my family, I mean, it's like a religious holiday around here, folks. There's mm. like, you know, color matching food to the teams we're cheering for. And, and we get in all the garb. And the whole day on Saturday is going to be watching all these football games. Mm. And um, everyone's very excited. So, mm. so yeah, less, less there, holy. There may, be some of, well, there may be some of that happening, too, in our community. There probably will be, <laughs> knowing, knowing Matt's uh, affinity for college football. I do like the footballs. Mm-hmm. Christy and I have a lot of good memories watching football together. And Paul. We do. And when Michigan plays Notre Dame, we text each other kind and snarky mm. things. Encouraging. <laughs> encouraging words. Encouraging words. Encouraging smack talk. Yeah, That's just, right. Just uh, the encouraging kind. So anyway. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, before we get into um, talking about Jeff uh, McGee on the podcast today, uh, I want to encourage our listeners just to check out our um, joining our community, uh, online. Mm-hmm. Um, so just go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And that means you just give us your email address and your name, and it means you'll get our latest content kind of delivered straight to your inbox. You get a list of curated links to timely articles and resources for leaders every Friday. Um, we pretty consistently get input that, uh, people really like this email. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of proud of it. I'm proud of the fact yeah. that yeah. people like the emails that we send uh, every Friday. It's curated links. The The most recent one, as of this recording, uh, had a link to a fascinating article that I found. We could have a whole podcast about this that critiques the hero's journey. Have you guys ever heard of the hero's journey? Mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Um, there's been like whole marketing uh, companies based on this and it's used in screenwriting and all this kind of stuff. But um, there's a fascinating article that critiques it as uh, perhaps a little bit too tied into uh, the American dream slash capitalism. It's a fascinating article. So anyway, mm. you get stuff like that if you sign up to be part of our online community. Um, and you also get connected with a group of uh, leaders like you who are yeah. trying to navigate ministry in, uh, in today's culture and trying to put love at the center of it all. So mm. anyway, gravityleadership.com slash join. If you're not already with us, I would encourage you to join us. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do, do it. it. No. Do it. Right. <laughs> I've been around thanks, kids thanks, a lot, thanks, people. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, do it right now. We'll leave space. No, uh, you can do it after you listen to this. Uh, and this episode is about, uh, we're interviewing Jeff McGee. And yeah. uh, Matt, Matt, you did this interview. Um, yeah. Tell us, tell us a bit about uh, Jeff. Jeff was born in 1963. <laughs> no, Je- Jeff reached out to me on uh, social media, and he's like, "Hey, you talk about racism a lot, and I wrote a book about about racism. Uh, mm. We should, you should read my book." And I said, "Okay, Jeff, send me your book." So he sent me a book, and he signed it, and I read it, mm. and uh, he was delightful to talk to. Jeff is has a PhD in uh, education. I don't think it's called a PhD, though. It's called like a PsyD or, I don't know, some kind of doctoral degree in like education. a top degree in education. <laughs> and he's got a he's got a educational model in this book that he, uh, to build cross-cultural collaboration, um, that I think is 
a, like a super valuable contribution to helping people practically think through how do I move forward the conversation about difference, about race, and about not just maybe uh, like slapping a, a tokenized solution on a, on a big cultural systemic problem. So hmm. anyway, we talk about his book, about his his ministry. He He's a consultant. He works with organizations to help them uh, diversify and uh, do cross-cultural collaborations. So yeah, it was a great conversation. It's great. Well, looking forward to it. And I really don't uh, know when he was born, by the way. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he, he appears to be my 60, age, so sometime yeah. in the mid-70s. Yeah. Yeah. I can't tell age anymore. Yeah. Right. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should get into the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, all right. yeah. It's probably good enough. All right, here we go. Let's get in. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jeff McGee, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm really yep. glad to Doctor, be here today. Yeah. Dr. McGee is an author and a thought leader and a speaker. He trains organizations on cross-cultural and leadership competencies. Jeff, you sit on the board of a lot of non-for-profits and community groups. You have a, a Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership and a Doctorate in Education in Educational Leadership. Uh, what else we need to know? What takes up your time nine to five most days? Yeah. Yeah. Most days uh, I, I work, my, my full time is a, as a consultant. So I work with uh, organizations across all sectors from nonprofits to businesses to uh, city, county, uh, local governments, businesses, you name it. We, we work with those, those entities on uh, creating organizational change within uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, initiatives that pretty much takes up you know 40 to 80 hours of my week (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say do you have any downtime at all yeah yeah. right (laughs) so how so jeff maybe uh tell us how did you get into this Uh, i'm guessing you know you didn't pop out of college and, and become a consultant right away how did you get into doing this sort of organizational change and diversity inclusion stuff yeah yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question, Matt, because, you know, as I was going through my doctoral program, uh, my goal, my dream has always been to become a professor. I wanted to go to a college and university and just become a professor. And I really like the idea of having summers off um, and, you know, working throughout the, the remainder of the year. But it, it was um, towards the very beginning, actually, of my doctoral program where I came up, I attended a class. My first class was on uh, racism and U.S. education. And it was a very interesting class, which actually, unfortunately, the class no longer exists at the university. Um, and that's a whole nother story. Uh, but that class really opened my eyes to some things. And at that same time, I actually was working for a Christian nonprofit group. And everything I was learning in this class, I was actually seeing in the real world. So mm-hmm. it was just through those experiences where I, things just started to shift for me. Um, and then I, I would take it a little bit further back, even before I started this program. It was, and I talk about this in my book, but it's, I think it's really worth uh, talking about it now. In, in 2009, I was visiting a friend in Fresno, California. And 
I was there uh, just visiting some friends, and they had church service that Sunday. And they asked me if I wanted to come and volunteer. They were doing what they call church in the park. And they were just actually going to have a church service in the uh, very under-resourced and underserved community uh, there in, in Fresno. So I, I volunteered. I you know, wasn't going to say no. <laughs> so I went and volunteered. And as we, we, I was there helping out, it's a beautiful day. I'll never forget this. Um, they, the choir was up there singing. They had bouncy houses for the kids and all kind of a petting zoo, toy gang for the kids. It was a wonderful day. And I remember talking to a guy. I don't remember his name. Um, he was from Mexico. He moved to the United States. I can't, I can't remember how recent he was in the United States. He brought his family. And you know, through some events where he got hooked on drugs, he lost his family became homeless, lost his job. And at some point he said, you know, I need to get my life together. And as he was sharing his story with me, he told me that he came to his senses, we'll call it, and said, you know, I need to get help. So he went to a church to find help and the church rejected him and told him he had to get clean before he could come to the church. Hmm. He went to another church and they told him, you have to wear a suit and tie. For, for our church. Another church he went to told him that you should go to church to a church where people are more like you is what they told him. So he was just saying church after church literally shut the door on him uh, because of who he was. And I remember after that story, I was emotional for, for, for months because I just the state of the church at that time um, where I realized how deeply um, uh, hurt people have become because of the church. I remember on my flight back from Fresno, I was flying across country. I remember I was just an emotional the entire flight. And I remember saying to God, like, why? Like, this hurts my heart so much. And I remember God saying back to me, I understand how you feel, but how do you think I feel? And I, I remember when he said those words, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is God's church that we're talking about. Not my church, it's God's church. Yeah. Um, so because of that and things I experienced in my education, I, I really started, uh, God really started shifting me towards the consulting work that I do. Um, and I work with a lot of churches also, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> and I say that because I say it because I, I'm helping churches love people, which to me, it's just, it doesn't make sense in my mind. <laughs> it's one of <laughs> Jesus's greatest commandments, right? Love God and yeah. love people. Yeah. So um, that's a little bit about my journey and, you know, what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things we want to chat with you about, Jeff, is this book you've written, One Human Race, Five Stages to Empowering Transformative Change. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, did the did the book come out of your working with organizations and churches? Was it something where you realized you kept you kept meeting with people, trying to help them acknowledge and reckon with these things, like the things that you experienced in Fresno, and then you put words to paper of this is what people need to know, or was it a, did it come together a different way? No, yeah, that's a good question because it it came together. So <clears throat> I listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, I have colleagues that do this work. Um, and I, and I felt something was really missing with this. 
What I didn't want to do was put out a book that was just like everyone else's book that talked wow. about race and racism in the church. Um, because through my experience and through my work, I saw something different. And that's, that's why I wrote the book. I did a lot of research on this. So a lot of everything in the book is research-based. It's not something that I just, you know, sat in a closet and made up on my own. It's or just your anecdotal experiences, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I really felt that the book was needed because it gave people a different perspective on how to look at race and how do we uh, build unity uh, within the kingdom of God and within our church. Yeah, and that's what struck me as I as I read this, Jeff, is that often when I hear Christians emphasize that we are one human race, the solutions they're offering for the, quote, race problem is to essentially say it doesn't exist. Right. Right? So, so right. That there's, um, sometimes that's called the colorblind solution, right? Mm-hmm. Since God mm-hmm. didn't create race, since he created us as one race, mm-hmm. to talk about distinct races and even the divisions in those races is then to uh, diso- disobey the word of God. Right. Um, What's what's deficient about that approach, and how how is your approach distinct from that? Yeah, so 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 one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because I felt like people we need to learn differently. So mm-hmm. when we talk about one human race, we hear we think, and we all agree that we are one human race. But when you go back into scripture. And I talk about this in the book. You go back into where it looks at the Tower of Babel, okay? And I think that's the focal point when we talk about race. So in the Tower of Babel, what happened is, you know, everyone was concentrated in one area. And we all know the story, right? Uh, God came down, confused our language, and then sent people away. So what happens is a lot of people think when God sent people away, they became different races right hmm. so meaning that you know each race is different and that's not what happened everyone got sent away but they are still one human race so when we start with that foundation we can start understanding and start building towards the understanding of yes we have different physical features but we're still one human race the other piece of that is this there's two types of understanding when we talk about race there's race as, you know, when we look at physical features, but then we're looking at also what's called the concept of race. The concept of race is actually man's way of giving meaning to race. So what happens is if your physical features, for example, we know in this country, dark, right? You have darker skin, you're black or African-American, however you want to say that. Man has to attach a meaning to what it means to be black, okay? So, which is not God's intent behind race. God's intent is for us to look different, yes, but we still are one human race. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's you're, you're naming learning. then like the stories we attach to the differences, which. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. And so then you, so then you're working with organizations, you're working with churches to help them reckon with some of the things you experience in your educational process. Uh, some of the things that were maybe reflected in that story in Fresno that obviously right. isn't um, just a unique thing in Fresno with that that person. Obviously, that's a, maybe a 
a quintessential story about how people experience the church. Um, what what did you then? Uh, your second half of your book, you you talk about an educational model that helps move people beyond talking past each other or just praying the racism away, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) or whatever you're going to... So could you maybe introduce that for us and tell us why that's so central and crucial to your project? Yes. So so this is another piece of what I've experienced in the consultation and working specifically with churches, but in organizations also, um, is that we want to skip towards putting things into practice, putting things into motion more of an advocacy role, okay? We want to go straight to the advocacy role. What happens is there's no foundation to sustain that advocacy uh, within an organization or within a church. So one of the very first steps in this model that I call the cross-cultural model of collaboration is the understand stage. And then in this stage is we have to self-reflect. We have to look inwardly. Okay? And this is biblical, too. There's many scriptures and, and, and proverbs that really allude to us learning about ourselves and understanding ourselves. In the consulting world, we look at when, what I call it uh, is bias. We have to look at our bias. We have to look at where we, we came from. We have to ask ourselves, what's our culture? Um, how do we make decisions? Right? Um, what was our worldview? Okay? Uh, our, even our biblical worldview. Is different. So what is that? So before we can start, before we can get to advocacy stage, we have to go through a process to start understanding ourselves first. That and that's the first stage. And, and, and something I want to say to that too is it's a constant, lifelong journey to understand ourselves. And that's right. why the work of the Holy Spirit is so so important in in, in this stage. Yeah. Yeah, you talk day. about well. Can I yeah, can I ask yeah. you a question about that? Yeah, sure, you talk sure. about. <clears throat> I think in that section you, when you talk about self reflection or self understanding, you talk mm-hmm. about how to uncover things that you don't know about yourself. Mm-hmm. That, like so, for instance, our self understanding at twenty. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, there's a deeper level of self understanding at forty. <laughs> yeah. Right, Lord, Lord willing, right, right, right. Uh, but, but you and I, Jeff, have met people, and I'm sure our listeners have too, that seem to have a lack of self awareness. So, for instance, if you suggest they have implicit bias, mm-hmm. they'll argue with you as though if they had implicit bias, they would know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm wondering in your in your travails and journeys through organizational, like helping organizations, what do we do when we're when we're with a person who doesn't have self awareness and mm-hmm. thinks they do, and doesn't want necessarily to in, engage in that? Like, what do you do in those situations? So, so what I've learned to do. Because I came across that many times uh, with uh, leaders, especially, uh, is I learned to set a, a different framework. One of the first things I do whenever we're starting a consulting project is I ask the question and, and, and get people thinking critically is tell me how you learn what you learned. Okay. And I've learned by starting with that question, people will start 
talking about where they learned their different beliefs, their different philosophies, their values, and more importantly, why they perpetuate those behaviors. Hmm. So by opening up the conversation that way and start thinking that way, we, we build a better understanding of where our biases come from. And to be honest with you, Matt, many times I don't even have to mention bias at this stage because okay. people are already getting it. And let me give you an example. When you look at our education system, okay, most of us came through the K-12 system here in the United States. We have to look at what our schools taught us about, specifically about history. And more importantly, what did they not teach us about history? So as we start unpacking that and people start thinking critically about that, they start having these aha moments. They start seeing where our education system has missed some things in developing us as critical thinkers, hmm. as, as we people are, are moving forward in life. So starting with that framework, we're able to start now unpacking biases and people are able to start saying on their own, um, you know, uh, understanding where their biases come from and, and how they are being perpetuated. Mm. That's really good. Yep. So you're, you encourage people to think about their thinking. Exactly. You encourage people to think about why do you think the way you do and how did you learn how to think like that? Exactly. Which is, it's interesting though, Jeff, like most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about our thinking. Nope. No, we, <laughs> and, 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 and the sad thing is, Matt, we, we think so. There's this thing called confirmation bias, yes. and it, what happens is we seek out information to confirm our existing beliefs. Yes. So, so, and I always use the example in, in the political world, right? If you're on the right, you listen to a certain news station. If you're on the left, you listen to a certain news station. So, all you're doing is reconfirming what your existing beliefs are. You're not challenging yourself to think differently. Right. Yes. So that's yes. an example that I like to use when you talk about confirmation bias. And that's what yeah, a lot yeah. of us do. Yeah. And I think that's part of how we're designed, right? That's part mm -hmm. of how God made us is if our brains are consistently having to question everything. Exactly. It's a real it's a puts a strain on our our whole system. We're always anxious. But like mm -hmm. we need we need the answers to questions already there for yeah. most of our life. Right? right, so that then we can process and handle information. Mm -hmm. um, so it actually is—it's actually working in some ways against our, defa our default operating system to do mm -hmm. some of the things you're saying. Because yeah. if if we just sort of take hands off and aren't intentional, we will seek confirmation to our biases. Exactly, and and that's why a, a part of the book, and not a part of the book, the the the. the motivating factor behind the book is the word transformation and how we're being transformative, right? Yes. And I love the scripture, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meaning we have to think differently yes. than, what the, than the way the world thinks, okay? And if we're not having our minds renewed daily, we're not open to the work of the Holy Spirit. We're not being open to new ideas. We're not being open to a new relationship because we're not conforming <laughs> to renewing our mind. Okay. 
This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. This, uh, this model then you have for building cross-cultural um, collaboration is, mm. it is a step-by-step process in many ways, Jeff, about mm. how to renew your mind, which is why right. it's so helpful. So the first thing is self-understanding. The second mm. thing is is learning, and you, you, de- mm. you delineate between single, double, and triple loop learning. This was mm-hmm. new to me. Uh, mm-hmm. All ironies aside, I'm learning about learning. Uh, <laughs> would you would you uh, double click on those for us and tell us why the triple loop learning is um, is what you're putting your finger on? Yes. So whenever so I came across this uh, this idea of framework of learning, and you know, and to be I don't want to waste too much time here, but a lot of us operate in single loop learning. When there's an issue, we only consider how to fix that issue. Okay. Yes. Double loop learning, we're a little bit, it's a little bit more challenging, and, and a lot of people don't reach this level of learning. Okay. <laughs> so, so here we're looking at our assumptions, which informs our behaviors. Okay. <laughs> triple loop is is where I believe triple loop is the answer. Here we're questioning some of those things I talked about. We're questioning how we learned, where we learned, who taught us. Right? We're questioning some of these existing doctrines and these existing worldviews. So triple loop learning really unpacks how we learn and how we can form new behaviors and new learning patterns. So I've found through the research I've done and through some of the practice and application we've done with different clients that triple loop learning really starts opening up the dialogue and triple loop learning is actually transformative. Hmm. So if we're thinking different, and back to the scripture that we're talking about, Romans 12, 2, we, uh, being transformed by our mind, what that's talking about is actually triple loop learning, hmm. right? Because we're starting to re-examine our learning and how we can learn differently. Okay. Yes. So, so, so that's where a lot of us need to get to, and we're not there. <laughs> yeah. Would you, maybe for those of us, this is all conceptual. Is there an example? Could mm-hmm. you take us to an example of like, this is single loop, this is double loop, and this is triple loop, and how, and so we can actually get concrete about the distinctions there. Right. So triple loop learning, um, and I think a really good concrete example is organizations that we work with, they want us to come in and help with organizational change. And what they don't want to do is sit through a bunch of trainings in order to start understanding uh, some of the DEI or whatever they're trying to focus on, whatever their goals are. So single loop would just say, okay, we have an issue with our organization. We want to put some policies in place, check that box, and then we're done. Okay. Hmm. That's okay. what more of a single loop learning approach looks like. 
Double loop learning is when uh, an organization would hire someone uh, from the outside, a consultant, or maybe even hire some sort of DEI director or VP and put them in the organization and say, okay, we have a VP of, of DEI within our organization. We can check that box. We're putting out social media. We're putting things on our website to say we're inclusive. That's more of a double loop approach. Okay. This is where okay. people are, are, are not really in, in it <laughs> to win it, but more of the appearance of it. Okay. Now they are taking a step forward, but there's some things that we've seen that uh, DEI folks that are in these spaces or in these roles are having trouble changing the culture because the leadership is not triple loop learning. They're not triple loop leaders. So in the triple loop learning organization, this is where your board, this is where your uh, senior leadership are involved in the process. Okay? They're not only involved from a professional stance, but also a personal stance. Mm. Okay? So they're starting to change the way they approach things. They're starting to kind of have a heart change, if I can say. Right? Yeah. So a triple loop approach is more of a heart change versus a single and, and double loop which is more of an appearance change. So that's kind of a practical uh, example of uh, a single, double, and triple loop learning. Great. Great. And so then we have self-understanding. We learn about our learning, and we, mm-hmm. we take it maybe deeper than just a policy change or just aspirations mm-hmm. or intent. Um, and then your third step is relationships. Uh, and this is interesting because uh, sometimes people just start with relationships, right? Mm-hmm. But they do so without being self-aware and without understanding what it'll take for them to learn. Um, mm-hmm. Can you maybe uh, unpack that for us a bit? Yeah. So when we're talking about relationships, one of the biggest things we have to keep in mind, if we're building relationships, especially with a, a cultural group that's different than the norm within an organization, there has to be trust established. If there's no trust, there's not going to be any relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we really, really have to understand. Another part of the relationships is how we're approaching this relationship. Are we approaching this relationship because we want to check a box? Or are we approaching it because we really care about that person? Or we really care about that people group? Building relationships, especially from, uh, with different cultures, really is going to help impact the rest of the model. Because as we're moving through the model, the whole idea is to build diversity around the table, to have diversity, not just in physical appearance, but diversity in thought. So we have to be able to go through the understand and learn stage to be able to prepare ourselves to have authentic relationships with people from across the different cultural lines. Yeah. So, that's why it's important at this point. Now we're starting to build these strong relationships with different people and people groups. Yeah, it strikes me that um, just speaking from my social location, like I was a white guy, and I, if I if I want to build cross cultural or cross ethnic relationships, it it I might not know what contributes to a lack of trust. Exactly. I may not I may not know from the jump uh, unintentional consequences of the ways that I lead, the ways that I relate, 
Uh, my, mm-hmm. my, my demographic, my social location, how they send signals or communicate if I'm trustworthy or untrustworthy. And so it strikes me that without doing the awareness and then learning how we learn, there's no, I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck with this, hey, you should just trust me because <clears throat> I'm nice to you. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so then we, we enter these relationships, then we build trust. And, and in the book, you, you name some things about how we do that. But then the next stage is advocacy. Um, when you talk about advocacy, what are you referring to? Yeah. So when I talk about advocacy, and, and, it, and at this point, you know, I need to, to, to pause because we can't read advocacy, reach advocacy without the first three stages. Now, again, yeah. those first three stages are ongoing. So we're never going to reach this utopia of uh, knowing everything about ourselves or learning everything about everyone else, right? It's a process. But at some point, we're going to be getting to this stage where, you know, we're able to start advocating on behalf of people who are different than us or advocating for our mission of our church. Okay? Mm. So it's very important that in this advocacy stage, and, and I talk about you know, the difference between having empathy and having compassion in, yeah. in the book, but here in the advocacy stage, we're really, really honing in on, on building empathy, starting to understand people. And this is going to, this is going to help the relationship building process too, but we're really honing on empathy and how we're understanding people's feelings, how we're communicating our understanding to them, how we're showing and asking questions. Okay. And too many times I've seen organizations want to jump into this advocacy roles, role and they, they lack the empathy. They mm-hmm. do it because they want to check a box or put it on their website or tell their congregation or tell their organization or employees, hey, we're doing or serving this community. But they're not doing it with empathy. Okay, Empathy is not dri- driving that compassion. And, uh, and, so, and so in this stage, you know, we want to be like Christ. Christ showed empathy. Christ showed compassion, right, to, to the different groups. And I outline in the book some examples of how Christ showed compassion. And where the Bible even says Jesus had compassion. Therefore, yeah. he was moved to action, yes. right? And that's where we need to get to as, as a church, as believers, in this role of, of, of empathy and having compassion, which is driving this advocacy stage and mm. in, in, in where what we're doing. Mm. Mm. That's great. I, don't, I honestly don't hear many people separating empathy and compassion the way you do, but I think it's really important in the way that you connect them as like one necessarily feeds the other and one necessarily mm. fulfills the other, right? Exactly. So compassion exactly. without empathy can be mis- misplaced, you know, charity mm-hmm. or misplaced benevolence, and and empathy without mm-hmm. compassion is basically just an internal thing that never finds external application. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah that's, our, and that's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. We'll go say say more about that. Yeah, and and that's this is the reason why one reason why I broke the book because I feel like we there is something missing out there in the literature and trainings and consultations is especially within the christian space is we're not talking about some of the work jesus did with other folks but we're not asking why 
Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and it's the compassion. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Or love your neighbor, right? That's the command God gave us. Love your neighbor. And love your neighbor. Love is compassion, right, for, for your neighbor. And we don't talk about this a lot. Um, so that's why I, I saw a separation between empathy and compassion because you can have empathy, empathy, but you're not moved towards compassion. Yeah. Compassion is actually action and work. You're doing something to solve, yeah. the, solve the problem. Yeah. Great. Let's, let's finish the loop. Let's close the loop as we wind down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the next stage, the final stage in the loop is participate. Mm-hmm. So would you help us understand then how is participation distinct from advocacy? What, mm-hmm. what is the particip- what are we participating in? What's that referring to? Yeah. So I like to paint this picture. If you're sitting at a round table, okay, and let's say you're working with an under-resourced uh, uh, community, and you have a, a you have a round table in your office. The question is, who is at that table? So if you're going through this model, stage one to four, and you're being inclusive, you're including these the folks that are in this under-resourced, underserved community at the table. Research backs this up and supports that there is higher participation levels within the underserved community with with uh, whatever initiative that you're trying to put on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you're doing in this participation stage is you're giving a voice to those who are voiceless. You're putting people at the table who are marginal, who's been historically marginalized at the table and hearing their thoughts. What do they need? Okay. So as you're going through changing policies or changing processes or program development, you and the people that you want to serve have a voice at the table. Now you're going to have a higher participation in your program or in your initiative, whatever you're trying to do there. The second piece of the participation stage is you want to measure your impact. So by being inclusive, by uh, putting steps in place that will guarantee higher levels of commitment by not only the, the folks that you're serving, but the folks who are doing the actual service, Okay. There could be higher participation level and you're able to measure those. So now when you go on your website or now are you putting out uh, uh, reports showing the numbers, right? We all have funders. We all have um, foundation that we're, we're, <laughs> we're trying to get money from. Now you're actually showing higher number, numbers, higher levels of participation and commitment to your program. And it actually generates more innovation, more creativity, and at the end of the day, more dollars to what you're trying to do. So this participation stage kind of closes this loop um, and, uh, and, and with your initiative. And now, at the end of the day, you have a program or initiative that is inclusive, that's diverse, that's equitable, that really looks like what the kingdom of God should look like yeah. um, by going through this model. Yeah, it sounds to me too, Jeff. I don't. I don't know if you've heard this said, but um, oftentimes I hear BIPOC persons say, "Don't in, don't give me a seat at the table mm-hmm. if I don't have uh, if I don't own the table." Right. Like I I don't want right. to come to your table and you serve me food. I want to be in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Where the food is made. So it sounds like right. this participation then it goes from I I this is my table. 
and mm-hmm. I'm giving you I'm I'm giving you something that now you you have some sort of say so to sharing mm-hmm. the table. The table opens up and there's mm-hmm. there's greater joining and buy-in and solidarity there. Maybe even we could say power sharing there. Is that is yep. that what you're describing? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've worked with and I have a nonprofit background. Um and I've worked with many nonprofits and many nonprofits when they're initiating programs, and this goes for churches too, when they're initiating programs, you, you ask yourself, how many times do they ask the people that they're serving what they need or yeah. what they want? And, that, and it rarely happens. What happens is the leadership in the nonprofit or the church says, this is what we feel the community needs. Yes. This is what, and then so because of that, we're going to put this program in place but then when they don't get the numbers that they're <laughs> expecting, then they wonder what would happen or, or someone's not doing their job. And that's not it at all. You're yeah. not including the people that you're serving at the table. right? And yes. that goes back to our biases because we think we know better than the, the people that we're serving or the people that we're trying to build relationship with or a different cultural group. So yes. that's that's why that's that's really important to understand this as we're, we're as we're moving forward. Yeah, well, I think the first part of your book, which we didn't really touch on, is it lays out sort of the history of race, the biblical mm-hmm. foundations that help us navigate racial justice and racial diversity mm-hmm. issues. But the second part that we focused on, Jeff, I think I, I said to you before, I think it's a unique contribution to the conversation mm-hmm. about how do we actually transform organizations. Right. Uh, networks of relationships, systems mm-hmm. of people, so that we're not we're not just having good ideas uh, right. that we can efficiently implement that don't actually demand anything from those in power, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. your model, I think, is less efficient. Uh, praise Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and does and does ask for the people implementing the change mm-hmm. to be the most transformed. Exactly. Right, exactly. so it's it's exactly. not an idea to transform other people. It's mm-hmm. I'm going to engage in a process that transforms me, and mm-hmm. then invite others into that, sharing power and transformation as we go. That then right. transforms the entire entity or organization. Exactly, exactly. And, and and at the end of the day, Matt, it's all about unity, right? We, and unity in in the kingdom of God. And I love that scripture, and I always like to share this scripture and. and the actual verse, it's in Revelation, just skipped my mind, but that, that, that picture there, that John had of different cultures and different tongues worshiping God at once, you know, in front of the throne of God. And, and that just gives me such a great, vivid picture of what's to come, yeah. but then also what God expects for us to do now. Yeah. Okay? We, so, so if we're divided now, <laughs> what's going to happen when we're all standing in front of the throne, we're not going to be divided into different groups like that. And, yeah. and, and we just need to start living this future kingdom of God that we envision now yeah. here on earth. Yeah. And that's yeah. and that's how I like to, I, I really love that scripture. I really just does something to me. <laughs> it's a beautiful picture. And I think oftentimes it's um, utopian in the sense mm-hmm. that we, 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 we either just say, well, we can just, um, we can just declare it's, we can declare unity and it'll just happen, or mm-hmm. or we can say, well, that's that's in the new heavens and the new earth, and right. you can't expect us to 
to live there now because the world's jacked up and we're all jacked up. And mm-hmm. and and what I like about your book is you you don't you're not shy about this eschatological vision of unity. And you're not shy about the hard work it takes right. to build unity, mm-hmm. right? So yep. you can't just declare it and assert it, right? but you have to work. Yep. You have to work out that salvation with fear and trembling in order for mm-hmm. unity to happen. And so so yeah. it's not just a call to the work, Jeff, mm-hmm. and it's not just a chastisement about uh, easy unity or future unity, but mm-hmm. it's actually a roadmap for right. how to do the work. Exactly. And so, and so, thank you for your book. Thanks for spending yeah. time with mm-hmm. us today. If people want to connect with you out on the great World Wide Web, how would they do that? Yeah, yeah. So, so you can go to my website, which is cc.dynamics.org. C is in cat. C is in cat. Dynamics.org, or they can just shoot me an email at jmcgee m c g e e at cc.dynamics.org. I love to chat, um, answer any questions that you might have. Um, I love this this conversation. I love talking about this, and I really thank you, Matt, for uh, allowing me to to be on this podcast. And uh, I've listened to several other episodes. Um, I, I've really learned a lot through this podcast. So please keep mm. up the great work. Please oh, keep it up, Jeff. Well, we're honored to have you today, and best uh, best to you and your ministry. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.